0: It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's Rock and Mike And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on The Rock Show Ooh, yeah, on The Rock Show
1: Good morning. I hope your uh, Thanksgiving weekend was good. Thanks, And this is another exciting episode of the Rock Show, episode 146. Only four more episodes into the epic 150 show. And, and you, I'm very excited.
0: You must, exciting. You, you must be up. We got up. a very special show.
1: <laughs> we got Rock of Mike with the knowledge, dropping knowledge. And we're talking about a very popular guy that influenced the Beatles, the Rolling Stone, Hendricks. We talk about the great legendary Buddy Holly.
2: Yes. And you must be a little lumped up because you just said Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, man. Whew. Still lumped <laughs> up.
1: <laughs> so much turkey that I don't know what I did. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. We're talking about Buddy Holly um, today. And... uh you know, it, even today, in 2021, uh, it's still he's still an influential guy. Uh, whether you realize it or not, um, he really invented the idea of the two guitars, bass, drum lineup. Okay, that that you know, in the early, in the fifties, when all of this rock and roll was coming together, really from scratch, uh, combination of country music, R and B. Um, that idea of the, the two guitars was something that, you know, carried on to this day. And uh, of course, his name, Holly. Okay. I mean, you wouldn't have had the Hollies, the 1960s uh, British band. Uh, also the Beatles got their name from Buddy Holly's band, the Crickets. It yeah. was just, a, it, it was a total takeoff of that. Um, when they were the quarry men, Early on, before they became the Beatles, they covered "That'll Be the Day,"
1: which yeah, was first
2: big hit. Yeah, how um, funny
1: is that? That'll be the day that I died. Look at that.
2: Yeah, a little prophetic. A little prophetic. Um, and he, you know, he he also kind of represents um, uh, the, uh, the very creative end of rock and roll. Um, most people at that time were not writing their own music. Uh, even Elvis didn't write his own. Uh, other other people did. Johnny Cash, he was really more country. Uh, Chuck Berry had, you know, writers with him. Uh, he did write some. Uh, but Buddy pretty much wrote or co-wrote everything. And he also had a lot of control in the studio as well, which was really unheard of at the time. Nobody yeah. had he was somebody world that world he world.
1: wanted to control. The, yeah, not too many people had any own yeah. music and all that because um he was kind of like the guy that helped him out. He was kind of broke at the end. That's why he went back well, to Well, yeah,
2: Norman, Norman Petty, who who really helped put him on the map and then managed him and produced him and 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 made those great recordings. Uh, you got to remember, the, the, Buddy's career is two years long. That's it. Yeah, it's just a little bit under two years long, uh, and 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 Norman Petty, he couldn't have done it without him, but he also ripped him off, okay, and I, uh, I don't know, I don't think you know a lot of that took years to resolve after his death. Uh, his widow had a lot of problems. Uh, Maria Elena had a lot of problems uh, with his family afterwards. Okay. Uh, as far as um, rights to music and all kinds of stuff. Now, to this day, uh, since that time, she's she's controlled his estate and anything to do with Buddy Holly go, kind of goes through her. Uh, however, a lot of people don't know Paul McCartney actually owns the publishing rights to to Buddy Holly's stuff. Okay, so you know, there's you know, and he did. I don't know when he did that. It might have been like in the early 80s because when the Buddy Holly story movie came out, I think that was 1978 with Gary Busey, very popular film. uh, It was criticized for not being accurate. I still like the movie, um, but there, there are inaccuracies in it. Paul McCartney was annoyed by the inaccuracies, and he actually made a documentary in the 80s called The Real Buddy Holly Story. Uh, and he interviewed, it's a documentary, he interviewed a lot of people. Keith Richards, you know, uh, I, I think George Harrison, a bunch of people uh, were interviewed. Yeah. Um, and then he, you know, he, he I guess he makes sure that everything is all the rights are correct and everything. Because after he died, I would say within the next few years, tons of stuff came out. You know, it's kind of like what happened with Jimi Hendrix when Jimi Hendrix yeah. died. There's there's more releases after Jimi Hendrix died than when he was alive. Okay, it's the same. It's the same with Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly only had you know with the Crickets he had one album, yeah, and and then he had one uh, one solo album, I believe. And you might say, what's the difference? Well, there was a difference because he had he was actually on two labels at the same time, as a solo artist
1: and in the Crickets. Yeah, and I'll get I'll get into all that why that is. You want to hear something too funny, thing? To Even after um, he died, the Crickets still performed a little while. Yes, they did. No, they, they performed for quite a while afterwards.
2: Um, I, I, I've never seen any footage of it, I don't think. I don't know who sang. Okay, it'd be interesting. I guess, I mean, they, they could all carry a tune. If you listen to the backing vocals and stuff of the Buddy Holly stuff, that's the Crickets doing the backing vocals. They could sing. I don't know which one took over the lead, but. Yeah, they something funny.
1: If you look up on YouTube and you look uh, reminiscent of Body Holly, yeah, reminiscing. It's um, it's a cricket. It's a documentary about the cricket after he died. Oh, I gotta check that out. That and that some of them came good. back and there've been different formation of the crickets.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, uh-huh. um,
1: another thing, his name was uh, his last name was a mit, mit, It was a misspell. Yep, I'll
2: get into that. Yeah. Which he, was uh, he, thing. He, he, he liked that. EY. EY. Oh, yeah. EY.
1: Yeah. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. So that's a lot of interesting stuff. And um one of our friend uh, Danucci was uh talking. The guy that didn't want to get paid the thirty-six dollars.
2: Oh, Dion DeVucci,
1: yes. Yeah. He's often
2: interviewed when it comes to Buddy Holly because of the connection with the last day when he yeah. when Buddy Holly died. Dion was almost on that plane, yeah.
1: Yeah, he talks about watching his guitar. It's fucking crazy. He had his guitar. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I mean, it was a shock, you know. And, you know, I think that uh, that in the documentary um, that we watched, the British documentary on it, on Buddy Holly, that's on YouTube, um, they brought up a good point. Uh, Somebody, a woman brought up a good point about how, you know, people think that the assassination of JFK was the loss of innocence in this country. And really, it was the day Buddy Holly died. Yeah. Richard Allen's and the Big Bopper. The day the music died. That's that's what it's called. Yeah, that's where they got American Pie from. Yeah, right. That's right. Don McClain got that from that whole incident. It's all about yeah. that. Uh it was a it was a time when you know no one you know the 50s Were a happy time yeah. And we had you know we were away from World War II it was a happy time The youth was was there was a youth Culture for the first time Okay and a lot of that was You know revolving around these rock And roll bands that were just starting And to have three of them Die in one Day at the same time Yeah was huge it was It was it was like a what the hell Happened you know and, you know, pe- people, people literally, you know, cried. you know, you know, girls and guys too, you know, were like, I can't believe they're dead, you know, yeah, crazy. so it was, it was really a huge thing, you know, and one thing too to mention, and I'll get into all this is, is the, the today when there's an accident, okay, a tragedy of some kind. And if you notice how the news handles it, they never say who it is. Who died, unless everybody's been notified, the family members. And that came out of this incident. Because Maria Elena, Buddy's wife, Buddy's mother, found out on TV. Yeah. That's horrible. You know, to find something out. Now I think over the years there's there's it's happened again with other things, but there's a there's an actual policy now with authorities to do this, you know, to, to let everybody know the family members know before the news comes out on who it is they'll talk about the accident but they'll just say you know unknown person at this point
1: you know when they did that remember when kobe bryant died it took a, it took a while before they say it was kobe
2: yeah, because because the family wasn't notified. Probably they would say,
1: "Oh, a helicopter went down," and this night I like get to maybe two hours later when the wife and everybody got notified that got notified. Saw, oh, it was confirmed. It was to me yeah. It was by a helicopter and all this and
2: crazy. Yeah. I mean, you could have your cell phone off, right? You don't get the call, and then and then that holds everything back. But it's a good policy. It's not good to find out your your husband died on TV. You know that's that's horrible. Yeah, you know. So all right, so. Let's get into this whole fascinating story about Buddy Holly. I hope you yeah. learn a few things. You know, one thing too before I start is I've, you know, there's that whole Buddy Holly mystique. He's kind of nerdy and, you know, the Buddy Holly glasses and all that stuff. Buddy Holly to me was pretty badass. If you watch how he played guitar, um, he played it punk rock style, man, downstrokes. Okay, downstrokes like Johnny Ramone. Okay. Yeah, he had his and,
1: own style. He had yeah, the style yeah, that and, and, and knew. his
2: and his vocal style was unique. Um, really like badass. You know, he looked kind of like a you know quiet nerdy kind of guy. He wasn't. He wasn't. That's one thing I like about the Buddy Holly story is they kind of show him as kind of badass and and you know getting drunk and fucking girls and stuff like that because yeah, that was going you, on. Do
1: you ever see the Buddy Holly musical where it started? they introduce him as a country western man. Yes. And then they go into the riff and start playing. The guy "Send me Buddy Holly up here now. Yep. That ain't country (laughs) music.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did start out with country music. So, all right. So Buddy Holly was born Charles Harden Holly, and he spelled it H-O-L-L-E-Y. It's important to know that right now. Yeah. Okay. He was born on September 7th, 1936 in Lubbock, texas uh he would have been 85 this year if he lived wow. he was the f- fourth child of lawrence odell also known as lo holly and ella pauline drake his elder siblings were larry travis and patricia lou uh he came from mostly a english and welsh background but he actually had some native american indian in his oh, bloodline yeah? as well yeah he did Uh, And as a child, he just was nicknamed Buddy. It's just something that stuck. Uh, The whole family was very musically inclined. Uh, All members could play instruments, could sing. Uh, Larry and Travis, Holly, often were in talent contests. Uh, One particular contest, they had a very young Buddy in their group, and he really couldn't play anything at that point, and they gave him a, a violin to just play. But he didn't know how to play it, so they put grease on the strings so it wouldn't make any sound. So he just played away like he was part of it. They ended up winning the talent contest. So wow, <laughs> they, you know. But right away, I mean, he he wanted to play guitar. He wanted to learn how to play, you know, instruments and stuff. Um, Larry, the oldest, he served in the Pacific in World War Two in the Navy, and he brought home a guitar that he bought from somebody on his on his ship. And ended up giving it to Buddy. Uh, He was getting piano lessons, Buddy, okay? But then kind of quit right after he got the guitar. Um, His brother, Travis, would teach him how to play it, okay? Uh, Buddy's early influences were Hank Williams, great country artist, uh, Jimmy Rogers, Hank Snow, Bob Wills, and the Carter
1: family.
2: Jim Carter, Johnny Cash connection there. OK, uh, he made friends with a guy named Bob Montgomery, and the two would often jam together. Uh, they would often listen to the Grand Ole Opry show, uh, the Louisiana Hayride shows. Uh, and we've mentioned these shows before when we've talked about country and Western artists. I mean, everybody in the 50s that made their bones like Johnny Cash, for instance, uh, you know, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, all these people listen to grand all opry and and louisiana right in high school they began playing together as buddy and bob it was buddy and bob a two-piece and they would do live gigs around lubbock and also they got on a radio show called the sunday party radio show on kdav in that area in texas that was in 1953 Uh, buddy at the time was also becoming more influenced by a lot of black r&b artists uh, he would listen in his car late at night after the Lubbock stations would turn off for the night. He would be able to hear some of the, the farther away stations and they would be playing R&B music, stuff that he couldn't hear in his own town. Um, he wanted to blend country music and R&B. And that's really what the essence of rock and roll is. OK, that's how it got started. And even to this day, that's that's really what it is. It's a combination of white country and Western and black R&B. That's really all it is. Um, graduating high school in 1955, Buddy decided on a career in music. That's what he wanted to do. He didn't want to do nothing else. So um, he was inspired by seeing Elvis. Elvis came through Lubbock. Uh, he actually opened for Elvis.
1: Yeah, he did open. Okay.
2: Right. Right, as, as uh, Buddy and Bob. In February uh, I'm sorry, in uh, yeah, in February of uh, 50, 55, I think it was. Yes, 55. He played a place called the Fair Park Coliseum opening for Elvis, and then in April 1955 at the Cotton Club in that area, and then in June again at the same Coliseum. So three times he opened for him. Uh, and Elvis was pretty much, if you remember the show we did on the sun years on Elvis. He was he was touring the South. He was on a big tour of the South, where he was getting more and more popular. Uh, you know, by the time he got to Lubbock, there was a lot of fans, female fans, and guys were kind of like, "Hey, you know what's going on here with this dude?" You know, and then people that were into music, like Buddy, was saying, "You know, there's a there's another element here to just playing music. You know, we can actually." Get girls. so yeah. You know, if, say, if, if,
1: say the girls would line up. Yeah, they would line up to be with you,
2: you know. Um, by the time uh, he had incorporated, um, when, when he when he opened up for Elvis, he had incorporated a guy named Larry Wellborn on the stand-up bass and a guy named Jerry Allison on drums. Um, in October of 55, Holly opened for Bill Haley and the Comets and was seen by a Nashville talent scout named Eddie Crandall. Um, Crandall was very impressed with what he saw, okay? And he persuaded the Grand Ole Opry manager, Jim Denny, to get Buddy or try to get Buddy a recording contract. Uh, a guy named Pappy Dave Stone, who was the DJ at KDAV, uh, sent a, a demo. But Buddy was able to make a demo and he sent it to um, Paul Cohen of Decca Records in February of 1956. Now, in the contract, I mean, he then he signed him right away. Okay, Uh, I'm sorry. Paul Cohen signed him right away to Decca. Um, Now, in this contract, Decca misspelled Buddy Holly's name. He spelled it H.O.L.L.Y. Yeah. And. That's how we got Buddy Holly. That's how it just stayed like that. He didn't change it. Okay. So in the contract, that's what it was. So on the records, that's what it was. And he took the E out. Um, On January 26, 1956, Buddy Holly attended his first formal recording session. Uh, This was going to be produced by Owen Bradley, who was a very well-to-do producer at the time. Very popular in country and western music. Uh, yeah, did
1: he do like Patsy Cline? I think Patsy I believe
2: Cline. so. Yeah, like he worked with many, many people. Uh, he was kind of like Decker's guy. So Decker set him up with Buddy Holly. Um, he attended two more sessions in Nashville. But Owen Bradley had all the control over the musicians that he could use. Buddy didn't appreciate that too much. He was in control of the arrangements of the songs. But he wanted more creative control and that just was unheard of at the time. So these sessions uh, didn't really go well. I mean, he recorded, uh, he was very frustrated with the process. Yeah. And he just wanted to have more creative control over
1: what he did, which was unheard of. Nobody had that. Yeah, nobody even that didn't even exist right there about you having control of your music.
2: Yeah. Well, he wanted control over who would play on what. You know, he felt comfortable with certain musicians and With this kind of arrangement, he wasn't going to get that. So in April of 56, Decca released Blue Days, Black Nights as a single with the song Love Me as the B-side. Jim Denny included Holly on a tour opening for Farron Young, who was a country and western singer. Uh, They were promoted as Buddy Holly and the Two-Tones. And later Decca would call them Buddy Holly and the Three Tunes. Okay, now Decca would also release a second single called "Modern Don Juan," backed with "You Are My One Desire" on the B side. Uh, his first and second single, those two, didn't make a splash at all. Okay, didn't make much of an impression. Nobody, nobody bought them. So on January twenty second, nineteen fifty seven, Decca dropped Buddy Holly. Okay, from the label, and he was told he was not allowed to record any of those early songs that they released for anyone else for at least five years. Okay. Wow. Including songs that weren't released, I should say. Okay, stuff that they did in the studio. Now, Holly was was very disillusioned with this experience he had with Decca and the record label. Uh, He was inspired, however, by the success of Buddy Knox's Party Doll and Jimmy Bowen's I'm Sticking With You. These are two big hit singles at the time. Um, He visited a guy named Norman Petty, who had produced and promoted both of those songs, and he wanted to meet him, possibly work with him. Um, Together with Jerry Allison, a bass player named Joe B. Maudlin, and rhythm guitarist Nicky Sullivan, they went to Petty's studio in Clovis, New Mexico, which is right on the other side of the line of Texas. Lubbock is yeah. in western Texas, and and Clovis is right on the line of, of New Mexico and Texas. In New Mexico, and he went to Petty so so he could have more control of his music, right? Well, it, it Petty was smart. Okay, now he 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 would Buddy Holly would be playing lead guitar at this point, and he would sing. Okay and petty kind of had a hands-off attitude and let him play and do what he wanted okay he saw he had something in in buddy holly so he didn't you know try to change anything too much so in that sense he had way more creative control uh by shifting over to lead he was able to get the sound that he wanted okay and it all kind of started to gel together um Norman Petty would become his manager right away And he sent um, The record that they had Just recorded called That'll Be The Day Okay Um, It was something that They had worked on When he was with Decca Okay Petty was not involved At that point but um, It was an early recording That wasn't released So what they did was They went to find a label To put this out on now he knew he had a contract with Decca saying that he couldn't put this stuff out, okay, under his name. So what he did was um, he would release he it, the band. He would release it under a new name, and that would be the Crickets.
1: Okay, That's amazing.
2: Yeah, he got connected with Brunswick Records in New York City. Brunswick was a very popular singles label, um, and they they you know put it out under the name crickets and not even about crickets just crickets yeah okay and um it was released as a single with the song i'm looking for someone to love on the b-side okay now petty and holly would later learn that brunswick records was actually a subsidiary of Decca. okay so you know that could have gone either way but it actually went in his favor because what would happen is because they were a subsidiary. Now they could do that other stuff that they were working on before, and rework it and get the sound that he wanted because he didn't like how those sessions came out. Oh wow! And so he was able to do that. But what they did is, as the crickets, he would be releasing stuff under Brunswick. There was a second label that was a subsidiary of of Decca, called Coral Records. And the Choral Records would pick up a solo contract. Okay, so he actually had a contract with the band and himself. Right wow. away. Right away. He was like 21 years old. Okay.
1: That's, that's crazy. It,
2: yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't even think that could happen today. But it did then. Now, um, the single That'll Be The Day was released on May 27th, 1957. And a tour was booked as the Crickets, okay, with promoter Irvin Feld. Now, he had noticed the single That'll Be The Day was rising on the R&B charts, doing very well on the black R&B charts. Yeah. And he booked them for appearances in Washington, D.C., Baltimore, and New York City. Uh, The band was set to perform at the Apollo Theater in Harlem. Uh, between August 16th and August 22nd in 1957. Now, during these first performances in this tour, they weren't very well received. But what they did was they added the song Bo Diddley to their set. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Bo Diddley is a song written by Bo Diddley, performed by Bo Diddley. And they added that song to the set. And that really impressed the probably... Majority black audiences That they were playing in front of, Okay And when they got to the Apollo They actually did pretty well Okay wow. and they were pretty, pretty well received Now um, Encouraged by the singles success That'll be the day Petty started to prepare Two album releases Okay A solo album And a Crickets album Okay Holly and the band Would do an appearance On the American On American Bandstand on August 26, 1957, and uh, it was during the, the gigs at the Apollo the week earlier that they became friends with the Everly Brothers, okay? And Everly Brothers would would kind of guide Buddy Holly a little bit in the business, and they, they remained friends until his passing. Now, that'll be the day topped the U.S. charts called the Best Sellers in Stores charts, okay? Uh, that was on September 23rd, and it went to number one. Wow! In the U- in the UK for three weeks in November. That's pretty good. Yeah, he um, you know, a short career that he had. He actually did very well in the UK. Yeah, and we'll we'll, we'll talk about that.
1: Didn't um, he tour the UK? Also, yeah. he hit the UK. Yeah, right? yeah, he would he would eventually. Okay, I believe more than once. Um, Mike, you want to hear something funny about Holly too? For his short career, two years, he made two appearances on the Ed Sullivan show.
2: Uh, yeah, yes, and and if you remember the show we did on Ed Sullivan,
1: yeah,
2: uh, they were a little. The first one was a little, a little shitty. Okay, yeah. he, didn't get, he didn't get along with Ed. Okay, see, and that that's what I'm talking about. How like the the real buddy holly and then you kind of have this other image of him in a different way he was badass he wanted you know he was serious about his music and he wanted to make sure it was performed right he wanted to perform whatever it was at that time whatever he wanted to do that's what he would do and ed sullivan you know you couldn't butt heads with him so you would not you would not be invited back but he was invited back and he did two shows so um he has a number one hit now with That'll Be The Day in the UK. And on September 20th, Choral Records, okay, the solo label, would release Peggy Sue, all right? Now, you go back, you look at these, the discography of Buddy Holly, Peggy Sue is under Buddy Holly. It's not under the crickets, okay? It's a Buddy Holly song, yeah. even though the crickets are playing with them, um, which I think had to be kind of – I mean, don't you think that was, like, a little shitty for the band? Maybe not getting the credit on some of these songs? I'm sure they got, you know, they they, they, they got their cut, whatever yeah, they didn't but, get ripped off. Yeah. But, but, I mean, that wasn't Buddy's fault that they got ripped off. But, you know, it must have been hard to be in the band and then only some of the songs being listed as crickets. You know? They were all good friends, so I guess it, it rolled off them. But maybe if they... Weren't such good friends, maybe it would have been a problem, you know?
1: So. You know what I also, and I never realized that uh, Waylon uh, Jenny played with Buddy Holly. He was his man. Yeah, I never yeah, We're going to we're uh, we're gonna get up minutes. to
2: that. Yeah, we're going to get up to that. I mean, Waylon Jennings started because of Buddy Holly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into that in a minute. Now, um, they would release the song on September 20th called Peggy Sue, okay? Yeah. And the flip side was the song Every Day. Uh, Buddy Holly was credited as the performer, not the crickets. And by October, Peggy Sue got to number three on Billboard's charts. That was the highest that he had at that point in America. Um, And it also got to number two on the R&B charts. So that really was the highest uh, at that point. Now, it would peak at number six on the U.K. charts. And as the success of the song grew, it brought more attention to Holly with the band now starting to be billed as live shows. Okay. Uh, they would bill them as buddy, Holly and the crickets Yeah. at that point. And just to clarify on this. So you understand, even though it was being billed that way for live shows, it wasn't until 1962 that albums that came out greatest hits and unreleased stuff would come out as buddy, Holly and the crickets. And it would the cricket, be a yeah. yeah. So um, in the last week of September 1957, the band flew home to Lubbock, Texas to visit family. And Petty, Norman Petty, had arranged some recording sessions in Oklahoma City where he was going to record with a band that he had, something he was doing on the side. Now, the Crickets drove to the location, and the only album recorded in Buddy's lifetime as the Crickets was recorded and finished there. It was called The Chirping Crickets. Okay. Now, this is one of the greatest albums of all time. Okay. The Chirping Crickets. Uh, it's an album, I think, that anybody who's serious about rock music should own because it is kind of the template of what was going to come in only a couple of years from the other side of the Atlantic. Yeah. Beatles, okay. Rolling
1: Stones, anybody. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, the songs on there are just classic, you know, it's just every, every song is great, you know it uh, and, and one thing too, and it's pointed out in that documentary we um, watched the Buddy Holly singles were all different do you know it what I'm was, saying? he was Down. evolving, you know well he was evolving and he made a point to make every song sound a little different, it wasn't just the same thing, okay and I think the Beatles took a lesson from that because their early singles all have slightly different sounds to them. You would think it's all the same if you're not really listening because it's all that yeah, 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 you know, stuff. but it's it's not, okay? You'd have a guitar solo somewhere. You'd have a harpsichord solo somewhere or some kind of strange instrument. Uh, that was all coming from the influence from Buddy Holly. If you listen to the song every day, okay, there's no drum on that. You know what it is? He's, what? he. The is slapping his...
1: Oh, yeah, his hands. His knee,
2: okay? He's slapping his hands on his knees. That's all it is. Um, I forget the track. There's another one where they use a cardboard box for the drums, okay? So, you know, it, he, he really was innovative in that sense. Uh, and sometimes these things would just come out of rehearsals, you know. You'd be doing a rehearsal, you might do a beat like this as a drummer trying to come up with it. Norman Petty was like, "Hey, what what are you doing there? That sounds good." And they recorded it, and they kept it that way on the record. <laughs> that was the that was the genius of Norman Petty, and and Buddy. Okay, but you know, even though he ripped them off, but he still was a genius in that aspect. Yeah. Now, um. The Chirping Crickets LP was released on November 27th, 1957, and it got to number 5 in the UK, okay? Uh in October, Brunswick released the second single by the Crickets, "Oh Boy." Okay? Which is probably my my one of my favorites from him. "Oh Boy," uh "Crying, Waiting, Hoping," that's a great tune. Um the flip side of "Oh Boy" was "Not Fade Away." Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll say this, and I I hope you all agree with me. I think that that single is the re, is is that's the British Invasion. Oh yeah. Right okay. The Rolling
1: Stones, the Rolling Stones make uh, not fade away. They did that. They covered, they, they they covered cover not fade away. I believe on their first album.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, and if you listen to Oh Boy, and you could see it when he performed it, there are some clips of him performing it, all downstrokes. With the guitar. All downstrokes. And that is the template of what would come in the 70s with punk rock.
1: All right. Yeah.
2: And and I mean, of course, Johnny Ramone who invented that, was a Buddy Holly fan. Okay. So uh, it all comes full circle and, and Buddy's influences on both sides of the Atlantic are a lot. Okay. Now that single, Oh Boy Would Not Fade Away, um, would go top ten. All right. And it got to number thirteen on the R and B charts as well. Not Fade Away, uh, I could see might have been even more popular in the R and B world than oh boy. Because yeah. not fade away sounds like a Bo Diddley song. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's that chugging that chugging guitar sound that Bo did. Uh, you know, it just it, it it had to be the reason the R and B fans were buying it. Um, Holly and the Crickets would perform. That'll be the day in Peggy Sue on Ed Sullivan, like we mentioned before, on December 1st, 1957. Now, following the appearance, Nicky Sullivan would leave the group, okay, because he really didn't like the touring that they were doing. He couldn't handle it, and he wanted to go back to school, okay? So he would leave the band. Uh, They would kind of be a three-piece after that, For a long time, okay? And um, on December 29th, Holly and the Crickets performed Peggy Sue on the Arthur Murray Party TV show. So quite a few TV appearances going on here. Yeah, a lot. Now, on January 8th, 1958, Buddy Holly and the Crickets joined America's Greatest Teenage Recording Stars Tour, and on January twenty fifth, Holly recorded "Rave On." Okay, uh, the next day he made his second appearance on Ed Sullivan. He was asked back, even though his first he didn't get along too good with Ed the first time. Okay, now he did. Oh boy, in that that uh, that appearance, and then he departed after that for Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, on January twenty seventh. From there, he departed for a week-long tour in Australia. Okay. Uh, I'm sure he was having a little fun in Hawaii before going to Australia. Um, It was billed the big show in Australia, and it featured Jerry Lee Lewis, Paul Anka, and a singer named uh, Jody Sands, who was popular at the time. Um, In March, the band would tour the UK playing 50 shows in 25 days. That's crazy. Think about that. Think about that. You go to the the UK. Yeah. Now, the UK is not that big. You could do the, you you could, you could, in in 25 days, you could do the whole country. So they were doing
1: everywhere two shows a day. So he pretty much spent most of his career on the road then. Up to this point. Yeah. He really did. Uh, That was, you know, it was
2: the way to make money. Okay. he had success with the music, uh, the singles. Um, the album did okay. Uh, it would be later on. It would be you know the chirping crickets would be revered a lot later. Uh, it did well early, but not that well. Did better in the UK. Um, now, 25 days, 50 shows in 25 days. Now, the same month, Buddy's debut solo album would come out. Okay, it was just called Buddy Holly. And when they returned to America, Buddy Holly and the Crickets joined Alan Freed's big beat show for 41 dates. Okay. Another big tour. Another big tour. And in April, Decca released That'll Be the Day again under Decca, okay, with the early sessions with Owen Bradley. That was kind of like the first version of it. Okay. They released it again. Um, A new recording session in Clovis, New Mexico, was arranged for May. And Holly hired Tommy Alzup to play lead guitar. Uh, This session produced the recordings of It's So Easy and Heartbeat. And Holly was really impressed by Alzup and asked him to join the Crickets officially at that point. Uh, In June, Holly traveled alone to to, uh, New York City for a solo recording session without the crickets on this on this uh, these sessions he chose to be backed by a jazz and r&b band uh this is where he recorded now we're one and bobby darren's early in the morning uh, it was during a visit to the pier southern music publishing offices in the brill building on broadway uh that he met maria elena santiago I believe she was a secretary in the office. Yeah. Uh, she was four years older than him. Beautiful girl from Puerto Rico originally. Okay. It's Puerto and, Rican, right? Yes. Yes. She was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, she came here at a young age, lived with her aunt. And um, was her aunt was involved with that publishing company as well and got her the job. Okay. So Buddy, I mean, it's, it's just one of these things. The story is Buddy fell in love at first sight.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think she did with him, too. And uh, he asked her out. And she, you know, this being, you know, 1950s, she had to ask her aunt. And her aunt said, OK. And they went out on a date. And within a couple hours, he got on his knee on the first date and asked her hey, about <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. That's okay? crazy, man. Well. So, She had to ask her aunt again. And her aunt said, well, you know, what about his family? And uh, this was, you know, she had brought him home, okay, and uh, asked. And Buddy supposedly said, well, if you know, my family doesn't know yet. If you let me use the phone, I'll tell them.
1: That's crazy.
2: Yeah, I mean, it just went like that. And they ended up flying back to Lubbock, Texas on August 15th to be married in, in Texas. Um, now, Holly's manager, Norman Petty, and producer, didn't approve of this marriage. No. Um, he kind of felt that it would affect record sales with the female fans if Buddy was, was not single anymore. Uh, this happened to a lot of artists in that time, 50s and 60s, early 60s. <clears throat> they, um, they would kind of hide their marriages.
1: Yeah, to keep the females, they
2: did, you know, they, they, I mean. they did it with John Lennon. They did it with the Beatles. John Lennon's John Lennon was married. Okay, uh, well, I believe her name was, was her name Cynthia. I forget. I believe her name was Cynthia, and that's Julian Lennon's mother. Okay, so he was married to her, and uh, they 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 kept it quiet until one day. Uh, there's a famous clip where they're playing, and under the under, when they focus in on each of the Beatles playing, like they'll say, "Oh yeah, he's single," you know. "Yes, girls, he's single." And then like somebody, I don't know, they I guess they decided to put it out there, said he's married under John Lennon. So the word got out, but yeah. it took a little while. But yeah, I mean, this you know, Petty felt that Buddy Holly being married wasn't wasn't good for his career, so he asked to keep the quiet, which Buddy kind of resented. He didn't yeah. he didn't give a fuck about that. Okay and he loved this woman he wanted to put it out there that he was with her but he kind of gave in a little bit and uh maria elena would would become part of the entourage uh acting as a bookkeeper kind of you know helping out with the band setting up and and doing laundry and things like that okay she would she would go on tour with him all right um the crickets now we're starting to get frustrated with Petty as well. Um, they controlled a lot of the proceeds of, you know, the royalties. He really controlled it, okay. And Buddy was starting to question now that he was getting pissed off with, with uh, about the, you know, the marriage being kept yeah. quiet. He was starting to question Petty's bookkeeping, and you know, as Maria Elena got more involved. Okay, things would be revealed. Yeah. Okay. So Holly and and Maria Elena went to many of the New York City venues at the time. They would go catch a lot of live music while they were staying in New York. Um, one place they went to was the Village Gate, the Blue Note, the Village Vanguard, uh, and Johnny Johnson's place was a, a popular spot. Uh, Holly was becoming more interested in, 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 very interested in different styles of music. He wanted to learn how to play flamenco guitar, the Spanish style guitar, okay? And uh, he was getting interested in jazz. Um, he wanted to make an album with uh, Mahalia Jackson and even Ray Charles. He wanted to make an album with him too. Yeah. Now he also had, he also wanted to get into acting. So he was, he was branching out. He had all these ideas. And uh, he ended up taking lessons at the Lee Strasberg Actor Studio. Yeah, that's sure. a big school. Yeah, yeah, a lot. I mean, Brando and a lot of those people in the '50s came out of there. Yeah. Now Maria Elena went with Holly on tours, like I said, and 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 she would be kind of, you know, told everybody would believe she was their secretary or their bookkeeper, okay? That she she was not married to Buddy. Um, she started to keep the money for the band and she would, she would get the money from the, from the ticket holders and things like that. Okay. And she kept the money instead of giving it to Norman Petty right away, which was the strength, what they had done in the past. Um, Her aunt was also involved with some of the bookkeeping that she started to do. Um, They realized that Petty was ripping them off. Yeah. Okay. What he was doing was he was taking royalties from Coral Records and and Brunswick Records the singles, and putting some of that money in an account that he had, a, a separate private account. Yeah, and that's he, not good. He was holding on to that money. Okay, so that was owed to the band and but and Buddy and the band. Um, Buddy wanted. You know, we found this out. He wanted to go retrieve the money. He was pissed. Okay. And he was going to fire Norman Petty right away. Uh, But at the recommendation of the Everly brothers, they would, you know, he would discuss it with them and they kind of told him, get a lawyer. Okay. uh, He got a lawyer named Harold Orenstein to negotiate the royalties. The problem with Petty happened really because Petty just announced one day, I can't pay you, I don't have it. So now the question is, where's the money? And that's how it was all revealed that it was in another account. Now, at the time, New York promoter Manny Greenfield reclaimed a large part of Holly's earnings. He got some of the money. But the two, Holly and him, had a verbal agreement that he would get 5% of the bookings. This guy, Greenfield, was a, was a promoter. So he agreed with Greenfield that he would get 5% of the revenue for tickets. And um, Greenfield kind of later felt that he was really working in a in a managerial capacity and wanted more money. This is why you should have, always have everything in writing. Yeah. Okay. Verbal agreement
1: doesn't mean shit because yeah. one guy can say, no, you didn't say that. Okay. Yeah, because they, they so, can be like, no, 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 I never say yeah. that.
2: So this would end up being more, you know, legal issues. Uh, Greenfield would sue him. And under New York law, because Holly's royalties originated in New York and were directed out of state. okay, go into petty. All right. This there's a law that says if it's an out of state dealing. Everything gets frozen. So he couldn't get any money.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. So he was screwed. Okay, and, you know, this would be the reason he'd have to go back out on tour again, which is the reason he died. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it's fucked up how things can happen. Crazy. Now, in September of 58, Hollywood returned back to Clovis, New Mexico and recorded the song Reminiscing and Come Back Baby which I find interesting cuz that was Norman Petty's studio and he was going back to use it again after all this going on. So I don't know what that what that was all about, right? Isn't that kind of strange? Why would you want to work with the guy again? You know, you're maybe in this you're he... in this legal entanglement, but I guess maybe that he just felt it was it was more the music
1: was the higher the higher thing and he
2: didn't yeah. like make a better music. So during well, these maybe sessions, the
1: guy just let him really control the stuff, you know? Yeah, and he probably couldn't get that anywhere else,
2: you know? Now, during these sessions, he was asked to produce a young Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings was a DJ at the time. And uh, the single was a track called uh, Joel Blonde. And it was backed with the song called When Sin Stops, Love Begins. Okay? And... Uh, you know, Waylon Jennings got his career going because of Buddy Holly, right? And it was Holly was becoming also very interested in what was going on in the New York music scene. Um, they bought an apartment, Maria Elena, and him at uh, 11 Fifth Avenue, right, right next to Washington Square Park, uh, apartment 4H, at the Brevoort Apartments. Building is still there. Yep. Okay. And uh, he was living in new york city when he recorded uh some acoustic songs uh one called what to do and the other called cry and wait and hoping which is a great track one of my favorites uh his final studio sessions would be on october 21st 1958 it was at what used to be called the pithian temple building and that was on west 70th street still there but it's it's like luxury condos now it's not a what it was before it wasn't a record it's not a recording studio anymore uh these are known by buddy holly fans as the string sessions okay these are the these are the the songs that like he did like true love ways the very bad ballady schmaltzy kind of songs um he had an orchestra he had what was called the dick jacobs orchestra behind him they were an 18-piece orchestra featuring ex-members of the NBC Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, that's impressive. Very good good musician. Uh, There was also a a, a very good saxophonist brought in named uh, Boomy Richmond. The three-and-a-half-hour session that he had produced the song True Love Ways, written by Buddy Holly, um, a song called Moon Dreams, written by Norman Petty. A song called Raining in My Heart, written by Felice and Bodalo Bryant. And then uh, a song called It Doesn't Matter Anymore, which was actually written by Paul Anker. Wow. Yeah. Now, these four songs were the only ones Buddy ever recorded in stereo. Okay. Everything in those days was done in mono. But only the song Raining in My Heart was released. In stereo, I believe, is a single. Okay, uh, the others came out in mono, and then yeah. they would see stereo releases many years later. Now, Holly ended his association with Petty in December of 1958, but the remaining Crickets kept him on, even even though they he he ripped them off. They kept him on, okay, as. They split from Holly as well, okay? But the split wasn't a, a nasty split. It was amicable. Uh, buddy was, was kind of – it was more about logistics. Buddy buddy, and Ma- Maria Elena was spending all their time in New York City, okay? They had an apartment there. And the Crickets were Lubbock, Texas boys. They didn't want to yeah. go to New York City that much, okay? And they didn't like going there. And, and uh, you know, Petty – was still holding royalties. This stuff was not settled, okay. And Buddy was forced to start a new band and return to extensive re- uh, touring again. Like I said, which got him killed. Yeah, okay? pretty much. Yeah. Now Hollywood vacation with his wife Maria Elena in Lubbock, and they spent some time with Waylon Jennings. This was at the end of the end of the year, December nineteen fifty eight, over the holidays. Um. There was going to be a tour called the winter dance party tour and it would feature a new band for buddy okay uh it was waylon jennings on bass of course buddy okay uh tommy all's up on guitar and a guy named Carl bunch playing drums now holly and jennings would fly together to new york city on june 15th i'm sorry january 15th 1959 Uh, They would stay at his apartment by Washington Square Park, and they had a meeting with General Artists Corporation, who was in charge of promoting this winter dance tour. They had some business to do. Now, when they were done with their business, they traveled by train to Chicago to meet up with the rest of the band. Uh, The winter dance party tour began in Milwaukee. On January 23rd, 1959. And the amount of travel on this tour, it's crazy. Was not, it was not thought out well. It was not planned well. Uh, the, the distances between shows, venues, involved a lot of travel time that was almost impossible to do. You, could, you just couldn't drive that fast, you know, to get there. And uh, the weather was extremely bad. It was an extremely cold winter in that area all right, Milwaukee, Iowa, places like that that they had to yeah, play. Yeah,
1: Minnesota, all those places. Right, right.
2: And, and, and you know, <laughs> you talk about this now in 2021 and you think, oh, they're probably in this big luxury bus and everything is taken care of. There's food, there's, there's alcohol, you know, whatever, okay? But that wasn't the case, you know. In yeah. those days, these guys all toured together, you know, it, it didn't matter if you were the headliner or, or or not. You were packed in with everybody else. It was just a coach bus. Yeah. There was no food, you know, unless you stopped at a truck stop. All right. Yeah. There yeah. was no there was no luxuries that you get today. Okay. It was very it was different. Te- it was seats. You'd fall asleep in your chair, and then you'd have to do a show that day. You feel like shit, you know. So it's it's hard, you know, it's hard to imagine that, but that's what it was. And because of the cold, the, tr- the, the buses broke down a lot. And, uh, you know, the way luck is, it break down at 3 o'clock in the morning and it's 30 degrees below outside with the windshield. So this led to some really bad situations where the bus would break down. Uh, Carl Bunch, the drummer, one time actually had to be taken to the hospital because he was getting frostbite on his feet.
1: Yeah, that's crazy, man.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, before the February 2nd gig at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa, Holly had enough of the the, the bus breaking down and all the, the logistical problems. He decided to charter a plane to go to Fargo, North Dakota after the gig, and then they would catch up and get a ride to um, Moorhead, Minnesota from there where they had to play their next gig. All right. Now, the small plane... Could seat the pilot and three passengers. Yeah. So Buddy asked J.P. Richardson, also known as the Big Bopper, if he wanted to take a flight with him. Uh, J.P. Richardson was was a big guy, and he wasn't comfortable on the bus. He was also suffering from like a minor flu. He wasn't feeling good, and uh, you know he 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 would he agreed to to be on the plane. Now, Buddy then asked Dion, who was part of the tour. Okay. And Dion, you know, didn't want to pay the $36 ticket. He just but said he was a couldn't. month's rent. That was a month's rent for him back in the Bronx, and he said, I can't justify that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'll go on with the bus. So, and then it came down to Tommy Alsa and Richie Valens Okay. And uh Richie flipped the coin, and he called heads, and he won. Okay, so Tommy Alsop was out. Richie Valens was in. So now you've got the – basically, if their fate is sealed, you got Buddy on the plane, Richie, and J.P. Richardson, the big bopper. It's crazy, Uh, man. Now, years later, Tommy Alsop would actually open a restaurant, in Fort Fort uh, Fort Worth, Texas, named Heads Up, in honors of Richie Balance. So, now the pilot's name was Roger Peterson, um, and like I said at the beginning of the show, he was a a pilot, but he was not trained to fly by instrument only. Yeah,
1: he couldn't um, fly, but he didn't though. He wasn't certified.
2: Yeah, he wasn't certified to do it okay, which probably didn't have as much experience, you know, it's all about hours, right, with pilots. They have to have a certain amount of hours doing this, doing that, and then they get certified. He was just certified to fly, basically in good weather, and this was not good weather. There was snow, there was, you know, freezing rain, it was it was a horrible night. Um, they weren't going that far, which Buddy probably figured was no big deal, because they weren't going that far. But, the plane had a new type of gyroscope on it, and it was called a Sperry. And it works different than other gyroscopes that that Peterson might have been used to. Uh, if 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 a person's untrained on the Sperry gyroscope, you could read it backwards on accident, okay? And you'll think that you're you're, you're climbing in altitude where you're actually descending. It's crazy, man. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. Okay, now, uh, shortly after 1255 AM on February 3rd, 1957, after the, the show that ended at midnight, uh, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, Richardson and Peterson were killed instantly when they crashed into a frozen cornfield not too long after a liftoff. Uh they were five miles northwest of Mason City, Iowa. Uh, wow. The three the three guys, the passengers, were ejected from the plane. Uh, and they died from extensive head and chest injuries. Um, Holly was only 22 years old. Still young. It was it
1: Richie Vallon was young too, right? Richie Vallon, I think, might have been 19. 19 he,
2: was, wow. he was very young. Um. A recently pregnant Maria Elena, she had just announced to Buddy that she was pregnant before he went on tour, watched the first reports of her husband's death on television. All right, The following day, she had a miscarriage, lost the baby from all the, the stress of that. Uh, Holly's mother also saw the first reports on television and screamed and fainted. Okay, when she heard the about the tragedy. Um, and out of this incident is the policy that authorities have today of always letting uh, the family members know right away before you announce that somebody died in an accident. And they didn't have that policy before. It was all over the news. Buddy Holly's dead. And uh, Ricky Ballins and the Big Bopper. And... The family didn't even know. That's a, that's terrible, okay, to find out in that way. Okay, but authorities don't do that anymore.
1: Yeah, Maria still believed that if she would have gone on the tour, he would have never got on that plane. That's true. That's true. Now, his funeral was held on February 7th,
2: 1959 at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, Maria Elena did not attend the funeral. Okay, and she's actually said she's never visited the grave either. Okay, uh, and like you just mentioned, to this day she kind of blames herself. Now she's about ninety now. Uh, yeah, she got him, and that into that 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 documentary we saw uh, was about four years ago. She looked pretty good for late eighties, and um, you know she she got emotional even then in the in the show. You know. I mean, she remarried and had a couple of kids, I think, and got divorced. Okay, so she's by herself, basically. Um, But she blamed herself. She felt that if she had gone with him, she wasn't feeling good because she just got pregnant. Yeah. And she normally would have gone on tours with him. That's what she had been doing prior. But this time, she stayed home. And she felt that if if he knew she was pregnant, which he did, okay, he wouldn't have put her on that plane, and he wouldn't have gone, so he wouldn't have died. Oof. What a story! Yeah. Man. I mean, what, a, what a you know what a you know what a, a ton of guilt to put on yourself. Uh, maybe it's true. Maybe it's maybe they both she would got have uh,
1: survival remorse. You know, people yep. that survive, they get that rem- you know remorse that they lost their loved one, and they and his thing was a fairy tale ending. You know, like it was like, like they met him. it was love at first sight, but. I guess he had a premonition. He probably knew he was going to die young.
2: Maybe, maybe I I, I don't know. Uh, we'll never know. Um, so, now his headstone. So everything
1: happened so fast. Boom. Yeah, boom, I
2: boom. mean it was not, the career was only not even two years long. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. Now his headstone carries the correct spelling of his name. It actually H O L L E Y, and there's also like a, a a carving of a Fender Stratocaster, which was his trademarked guitar um yeah so you know one thing i find really interesting if you're going to kind of you know talk about hypotheticals like what if okay you know he he was evolving musically and you gotta wonder like if he would have gone in a a less rock and roll direction with those later songs that he had done you know like true love ways is like a you know it's a it's a love ballad, no guitar on it. It's all strings.
1: I also got, think once he fell in love, he was writing a little different.
2: Yeah, and his guitar playing, he wanted to branch out into jazz and other stuff. You know, would would he have made a record with Ray Charles? Would he have made a record with Mahalia Jackson? Uh what if he had lived, in, you know, into the '60s? How would have that changed the music scene? It might have been a whole different scene. We just whole don't know. whole different thing. I mean, the short career that he, career that he had totally blew open in England and, and made the British invasion possible. All right? Because, you know, British music before Buddy Holly was totally different. Okay? Uh, there was a popular music called Skiffle, just sort of like countryish ish in a way. I don't know. But it's different. But uh, a lot of early guys like Bill Wyman from the Stones—they used to play in skiffle bands. Um, you know, ha- had had he had he lived, you know, who knows what what that scene would have been like too? What kind of music he would have made that would have influenced that?
1: So yeah, you're right,
2: yeah. I mean, it's 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 really and 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 you know, in the '70s, with uh, uh, when we when we were kids, I mean, there was a re kind of re you know reinterest in fit in, in, in the nineteen fifties, right? You had shows like Happy Days, yeah. right? Happy Days, uh yes. um, China, uh Greece, all that like interest in the fifties. He could have made he could have made a big comeback. And you imagine know, that, if he would start he making
1: movies and stuff like that Maybe too. Maybe he did. Maybe he would have made movies. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Maybe he might have not been singing. Maybe he might have been an actor.
2: That's a good point. That's a good point. You know I think I think he might have gotten into acting. Uh, he could have done anything. He was very talented uh, with music. We know that. Could he have been a good actor possibly? Uh, you know he could have kind of transformed into that. Uh, he was friends with guys like Paul Anker who were just beginning their careers, but they had a lot of pull in, in, in show business. Paul Anker was friends with Frank Sinatra, you know yeah. people like that. Uh, he, he could have gone, in the 60s Had he lived, he could have gone into so many Different directions So, it's really a tragedy And 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 it's really the first tragedy In rock music, or popular music At the time uh, Nothing like that had ever happened Before in pop music uh, Hank Williams would die Okay, and that would be A big thing for country music fans um, But you know and there were accidents with other people but this was a plane crash you know yeah. planes were planes were were kind of a new thing at that time and uh, I think the, I think the country lost a little innocence that day you know we, we, we weren't the same after that uh, you, yeah. you can ask people like my parents age and they were like oh yeah that was a, a horrible tragedy they remember that they remember where they were when they when they heard about it just like JFK you know 9
1: well, where were you? You know, so what a tragedy. So I got you today, buddy. buddy Holly in the bag. Yeah, man, what a great story, man. We got a lot of information about Holly, his career, his mm-hmm. wife, and um, and he's the uh, guy that paved the way for the uh British invasion and a guy that was on that settlement a few times. So, the guy was impressive for a very short career, he did a lot.
0: Yes he did.
2: Yes he did. And And you know. he was
1: 22, which is even more crazy.
2: Yeah. In just that short time. Yeah. You know, and every song was a little different, you know, and and it really showed his versatility and his talent. Um you know, he's he's one guy that I always say like it would have been cool as shit to see him live you go back in time and see that. You know what I mean? Cuz it really was different. Really was very different. Yeah. So all right, all so right. Where,
1: can we, where can we find you, Rob, if we need you on the internet? All uh, right, so if you want to drop me some notes or uh, send me an email uh, at uh, Rob Rossi at gettinglumpedup.com. Uh, you can also uh, look, at, look me up in um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you want to reach me. All uh, right, Mike, where can we find you? Okay, I'm on all the,
2: the social medias. I'm on Instagram, rockermike212. I'm on Clout Hub and MeWe under Rocker Mike. I'm on Facebook under Rock Go Mike, Rock Mike. And I'm on the, uh, of course, Facebook, the Rock Show podcast group page where we get into the stuff we talk about and the podcasts and different songs every day and little tidbits. Um, I want to remind everybody again to please let me know, give me some suggestions for four shows that are going to be for early. 2022 we did this last year with with great results um we had a whole month dedicated to requests uh let me know what you want to hear send me a private message or put it on the rock show podcast group page on facebook um also this is the last rock show of the year okay this will be but you're watching this will be the end of november um i'm taking a couple of weeks off to, to um, concentrate on the Conspiracy 420 show that we do. Uh, We will return for a year-ending rock show at the end of December with Scott the Clown, maybe some other guests. Uh, And then, starting in January, we're going to have a new format every other week with the rock show, and then every other week with the Conspiracy 420 show. So yes, rock show is going to take a little backseat, not every week, but we're still going to be working hard on it. Send me your suggestions. I want to put four shows together between January and March based on your suggestions. Uh, somebody suggested, um, your buddy, Jerry, Jerry, uh, Masterson, right? From upstate. Yeah. Okay. He, uh, he suggested blue cheer. So we might do that. Okay. I'm taking anything into consideration. Just don't be an asshole and tell me to do Billy Joel because that's not happening. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
1: hey, how is uh, Black History? Are we only doing two shows for Black History? I,
2: I I think we I think we we might do four shows. Okay. I have I have a couple of, I have a couple of ideas. I haven't thought it through yet. Uh, February is going to be is right now. It's up in the air, but I'm putting it together. We might talk go go off topic a little bit. We might get into a little jazz. A little something I'm thinking about. But I'll let you know soon about that.
1: We should do some Miles Davis. You read my mind, kiddo. That's one of them I was thinking of. You know, we definitely got to do Miles Davis. Because, yeah. come on, you can't talk about jazz and not talk about... And, and I think I think if we do, if I could do I can probably get like Richie. He's a huge jazz guy. So I got a guy that does jazz. That Richie Hill. Richie Hill, uh, the building department guy. So, like, we can bring in Richie as a special oh, guest. So he's definitely okay. a jazz guy. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
2: It's good because uh, I like jazz. I like free jazz. I like, the you know, Miles Davis, yeah. Vicky Brew, stuff like that. We might do a show on him. I'm thinking Coltrane. I'm thinking Sun Ra, which would be really yeah. fascinating because Su- Sun Ra is nuts. Yeah. Okay? That sounds good, man. Yeah. So, I'm thinking of doing that. Um, and so the suggested shows that I want you guys to, to let me know, I'll do two in January and two in March, if you can get me some pants that, you know, are good to talk about.
1: All right, man. So this is another end of another wonderful show. Uh Our program is changing for the new years, and um thank you for oh, following at us. The end, thank- at, the,
2: at, at the end of the year, I'm going to pick my record of the year. I've, I've already decided on that. I'm not going to reveal it yet and yep, um yep. and
1: um and we also we got to talk about something else off the air so um okay all right so yep. to everybody out there don't get drunk get lumped up see you next time
2: take care people
1: bye
0: the only podcast you That will be music to your ears You'll learn about bands you love or may not know And it's only here on The Rock Show Get lumped up on the rock show